So we're in the book of Daniel. We've covered the first nine chapters of Daniel so far. Nine weeks. It's been fun, right? It's been a whole lot of things. Fun is on that list somewhere. We have seen a lot of talked about how the world and the culture are fallen and broken. We've talked about how there's spiritual warfare happening behind the scenes that affects stuff that is seen. We've talked about how in this broken and corrupt and fallen culture, we can still be faithful to God as we walk through this world. And it starts with a personal resolve, a personal decision to say, you know what, the world's going to do whatever it's going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's where it begins. It's in the heart. And we've seen time and time again in this book of Daniel how God is faithful, how God shows up time after time, and he delivers, and he protects, and he provides, and he meets with his people that love him and are faithful to him. We've seen a whole bunch of prophecy in the book of Daniel, a lot of that. Don't worry, there's lots to come. You haven't seen the end of the prophecy yet. And a lot of these prophecies have been fulfilled since the time of the writing of the book of Daniel, and they've been fulfilled in exact almost freaky if it wasn't for God. It's not freaky because we know it was God, but super accurate detail. And we are looking ahead to prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. We have seen visions in Daniel and flickerings and glimpses about what's coming at the end of our world. That's called the end times. And most importantly, we have seen with clear, absolute certainty that Jesus wins in the end. That's the best news at the end of all of this, isn't it? That Jesus wins. Amen. Okay, so we're going to see that some more today. Daniel chapter 10, where we are this morning, right through to the end of the book, Daniel chapter 12, this is actually all one sequence. It's all based on one vision. It's all one encounter, but we're going to break it up into three weeks, basically one chapter a week. And here's the nutshell of the last three chapters of Daniel. Yes, you still have to come the next two weeks. This is only the nutshell. This doesn't count, right? That was funny. Now, Daniel 10 through 12, here's, what it's, here's, here's the point of it. It's a reminder that life is bigger than you and I, right? Sometimes we live and we think that we're at the center, I'm at the center, the world revolves around me, it's all about my feelings and my wants and my needs and my convenience and all these things. It's not. It's not about you. The book of Daniel is definitely not about you. You're mentioned in it, but it's about Jesus. Life is bigger than you and me. Daniel 10 through 12 is going to provide to us a sweeping look at the big picture of God's story. Somebody say the big picture. As in, it's zoomed way out from just you, and it's talking about everyone and the world and all of history and what's going to happen. That's what Daniel 12, 10 through 12 is about. It's talking also about the battle that rages on in the heavenly places in an unseen realm. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to see next week a lot of how this battle behind the scenes affects world history and things that happen in this world. And of course, like I said, we're going to see how Jesus ultimately wins the war at the end of all of this battling. So, With that, let's read our text. Daniel 10, go there in your Bible right now, if you would please. You guys are really quiet. The coffee hadn't kicked in yet or what? That's all right. I still love you. Let's read this here. Daniel 10, we're actually going to read to the end of chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to include that single verse in there as well. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, 
And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. That doesn't mean don't take a shower for three weeks, by the way, so no funny ideas about that. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a fine uh, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz, that's how you say that, Euphaz, around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Help me out. Somebody say, they gone. Good job. I got to make sure you're not, you know, it's okay. It's all right. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said to me, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And the final verse says, And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now, that's a pretty classic uh, chapter in Daniel. You read some of it, and it makes pretty good sense. And you read other parts, and you go, I don't know. I don't know about that. And that's okay. We're used to that by now in Daniel. Amen? We've had nine weeks of that. So, again... Daniel 10 through 12 is all about the big picture. It's not about you. However, I do want to talk about you a little bit. We are going to zoom in on you and I a little bit as we begin for these last three weeks. Now, here's what I want you to know. This is small picture, talking about you and your life. One of the things that we see in Daniel chapter 10 is a sequence of healthy practices. Healthy practices for hellish times, if you will. It's a good name, right? Healthy practices for hellish times. What I want you to do is notice the, the things that are in this, this chapter. First of all, it says, in the third year of Cyrus. Now, 
that gives us the historical timeline right here. The third year of King Cyrus was somewhere around 536 BC, give or take a year or two. What was happening in the third year of Cyrus is that the exiles, the Israelites who had been deported and exiled to the land of Babylon, they had now been given the word that they were allowed to go home. And some of them went home. History tells us that about 40,000 of the exiles from Israel went from Babylon back to their homeland, but a whole bunch of people didn't go at first. They kind of stayed where they were in this land of exile. And the ones that did return home, Jerusalem, for instance, had been totally destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The place had been ravaged. The wall was demolished. It was a wasteland. So the people who were going home, what are they really going home to? It's an uncertain time. And what's going to happen? Are more people going to come home? Or is it just going to be these 40,000? And since there's not that many of us, I know 40,000 sounds like a lot, but compared to how many people actually lived in Israel at the time or belonged to Israel at the time, it's not that much. So the people who have now gone home, what's going to happen to us? Are we going to get attacked? Is someone going to come and invade us? Are we going to be exiled again? Uncertain times. Somebody say uncertain times. Kind of like the times that you and I live in, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in the world that we look at, even as believers, even with a Bible worldview, and we go, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know where that's going to lead. I don't know what to make of all of this. And it's confusing, and sometimes it can be disheartening and alarming. Uncertain times. That's the context for Daniel. It's the context for us. And what we see here is that Daniel's world gets totally rocked in this sequence. In the third year of Cyrus, he has a vision find it funny we're not even going to talk about what the vision is today that comes next week but this vision that Daniel sees this word that he gets it's a word of conflict great conflict and he understood the word he had understanding of the vision and what we see in the coming verses is that it totally floors him whatever this vision was whatever this word is it totally rocks his boat rocks his world again See yourself in that as well. Sometimes you and I, we're living our life, we're going along, we're doing our thing, and then boom, usually circumstance-based, right? Boom, something happens. Wow, where'd that come? Or sometimes, you know the expression, they come in threes, it's boom, boom, boom. A bunch of stuff happens to you in your life and you go, what's going on? How do I make sense of this? What is even taking place? God, where are you in all this? Anybody, by show of hands, ever been in a season like that in your life? Yeah, that should be pretty much all of us, right? We talked about last week, by the way, that sometimes God will use those seasons of our lives to get our attention. He's nudging you, getting you right in the ribs. If your ribs are sore, that probably means the Lord's after you for something, right? And I just, I I, want to just speak to this, right? Daniel is a worshiper of God. He belongs to the Lord and his world is rocked like that. I don't want you to think, well, just because I'm a Christian, nothing bad will happen to me. Show me in the Bible where it says that. Just saying, Daniel's world gets rocked. Sometimes our world gets rocked. And here's what Daniel does in response. Super important. He takes on a posture of humility and seeking. Humility and seeking. He doesn't freak out, though he's greatly alarmed. He doesn't hit the panic, the big red button. He doesn't go on a bender. He doesn't sink into despair. He seeks the Lord. He takes on a a posture of humility. In verse two, it says here, that he was mourning for three weeks and he didn't anoint himself at all. Again, in those days at that time, that signified brokenness. It's not an encouragement. If you really want to impress the Lord, just don't take a shower for three weeks. That's not what it's talking about, right? Please bathe. (laughs) We'll all appreciate it. 
He's mourning for three weeks. This is not Daniel getting up on the soapbox and saying, Lord, how awesome I am. You better pay attention to me and do good things for me. This is Daniel low. He's low before the Lord. He's just being honest before the Lord. Does not mean that you always have to be sad before the Lord, by the way. He's in mourning right here. It doesn't mean if you're ever trying to appeal to the Lord, you gotta just pretend like you're really sad and, and that's a way of rubbing the magic lamp and God now has to show up for you. No, but given what Daniel saw, that's the reaction he had. You can approach God in humility when you're sad. You can approach God in humility when you're happy and full of joy and anywhere in between. The point is this, it's what's in your heart. Are you saying, God, look how awesome I am? Or are you saying, wow, God, you are God and I am not? That's humility. That's what Daniel does. And he also is seeking the Lord. It's, it's important to note in verse three right here, he ate no delicacies. I don't know what you would consider a delicacy in your diet. Popeye's chicken. Someone said crickets. Nice, okay. You'd be good on Survivor when they make you eat crickets. Okay, sidebar. I ate no delicacies. No meat or wine entered my mouth. You know what this is? This is a type of fasting right here. And we've talked about fasting before. We won't do a deep dive on that today. But when you fast as a Christian, it's setting something aside, often food, for the purpose of, of seeking the Lord even better. You are removing something from your life. And in the void that is left behind from that thing, you pour into that with the Lord. And especially when you're fasting from food, you feel hungry. And when you feel hungry, rather than eating, it's a reminder to just drive you to your knees before the Lord. Some of you guys fast and you've talked about how wonderful an experience it is. Well, the hunger pains aren't so wonderful, but, but how you can get close to the Lord when you do that, it's wonderful. We'll talk about that more uh, here in a second. But what this is, this fasting that Daniel's doing, this is showing that Daniel is willing to break out of his routine in order to get closer to God. And I just speak this to a 21st century church right here, we are so bombarded with stuff all the time, entertainment all the time, watch this TV show, look at your phone, do this thing, partake in this activity. Our brains are way overstimulated all the time. By the way, if you have trouble sleeping, that might be why. You're just on the go all day staring at your phone screen all day. It's actually like, I wanna shock you, it's like not that good for you to do that. Did you know that? Anyway, it's not wrong to use your phone, but like, come on, put it down once in a while. Not the point of the sermon. Anyway, Daniel, metaphorically speaking, is willing to put the phone down for a while and say, all right, Lord, here's the lane I usually go in. Maybe I usually have delicacies and I eat meat and I drink wine and I bathe and I whatever. He's saying, but Lord, I really need a touch from you. I really need revelation from you, God. So I am just laying aside the routine because when you're in a routine, it's really easy to just be in a rut. You know what I'm saying? You just live on autopilot. You do the same thing every day. You go through your cycles, your motions. It's hard to just kind of pick your head up out of water sometimes and look around and say, oh God, what are you doing in this season? But Daniel does that. Highly encourage us to do that as Christians. Some type of fasting, whether it's food or electronics or whatever, this can sharpen us and help us get closer to God. We see it right here in God's word. So this here, this here right here that's on the screen right now, this is Daniel not taking on the posture of don't worry guys, uh, I'm in a bit of trouble right now but I got this, I'm really smart, I'm really resourceful or whatever it is for you, I have lots of money or whatever. This is not Daniel saying I'm gonna pull myself up by the bootstraps here. He's saying wow, 
I'm really alarmed and I'm really shaken by this and I know I need the Lord. And he goes to many different lengths to try to get as close to God as he possibly can. Does this make sense so far? Okay, the first half of you, maybe the back half, you can't hear me. That's all right. Now, here's what happens, okay? Daniel's world, he's in uncertain times. His world gets rocked. He takes on this posture of humility and seeking. And then here's what happens. Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. Now, if you go to the next slide, please. It says, I lifted up my eyes. So in response to to what's going on, I lifted up my eyes and looked. Behold, a man clothed in linen, the belt uh, from Euphaz. The body was like barrel, face like lightning, all of this stuff. I want to just submit something to you today. And we can disagree on this. This is okay. Remember last week we talked about how in our faith, there are some things that we absolutely, all Christians must certainly agree on, right? Who is Jesus? He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He's coming back. He's going to judge everybody. Uh, Those who believe in him and belong to him will go with him forever. Those who don't, won't. These things we have to agree on. Now, there are some things in scriptures, though, that have different interpretations, and we don't have to always agree exactly on them. Nod your head if you remember that from last week. Nod your head. Okay. So this is one of them. If you reach a different conclusion here than I do, great. Let's hang out. I love you. It's all right. I have a submission to you that it's very possible this figure that shows up to Daniel is actually Jesus himself. Now you say, Braden, wait a minute. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't born till the New Testament. So you must be wrong. Well, I'll ask you this. Did Jesus exist? Now just let me get the whole question out. Did Jesus exist before he was born on the earth in the form of a baby? Of course he did, yes. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said. He always has existed. And there are certain things in the Old Testament in particular called Christophanies. Somebody say Christophany. It's a fun word, Christophany. That's basically an appearance of Christ before his incarnation in the New Testament. Jesus was alive back then, and occasionally he will show up on the earth to make a cameo appearance, even though he was not born in the form of a baby yet. That's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. There are different Christophanies in the Bible. For instance, uh, there's one in Daniel chapter 3 that we read a month and a half ago. Remember the fiery furnace account? They chuck the three guys in the furnace. They look in, and they go, how come there's four of them in there, and one of them looks like the Son of Man? That's Jesus, right? There's other people, uh, or there's other places, rather, where people have uh, made the argument that uh, Jesus is mentioned. For instance, again, you can disagree with me. That's okay. There are places in the Old Testament, Genesis 18, Genesis 22, there's many, many, many of them. I won't list them all, where there's this certain figure that's mentioned in these places called the angel of the Lord. Now, we believe in angels here, just telling you. If you think that's weird, uh, you're weird. We're not weird. (laughs) angels. If you read in places in the New Testament, for instance, or different places in the Old Testament, for instance, around the time Jesus was born, the Christmas story, you'll read that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph or appeared to Mary or did whatever, an angel. And it's very clear that this is not talking about Jesus because he's like in the process of being born, right? But in the Old Testament, in certain places, it talks about the angel of the Lord. Now, that in and of itself isn't enough to convince me of anything. But anytime the angel of the Lord appears in the Old Testament, it always has a description included with it. And when you look at what's said about the angel of the Lord, and sometimes people meet with this angel of the Lord, and afterward they say, wow, I've just seen God. 
Not I've seen an angel, I've seen the Lord. This just gives us a clue that this could possibly be Jesus. And I want to submit to you, this could be one of those as well. This isn't the angel of the Lord mentioned here, but this is, look, just look at the description here. A man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz. So first of all, Euphaz may mean nothing to you. It doesn't mean a lot to me, except for biblically and historically speaking, that region of Euphaz was mentioned as a place that produced really fine gold. The best gold in the world apparently came from Euphaz. And when it talks about this belt of gold from Euphaz around this guy's waist, guess what? There's one other time in scripture, there's one other person in scripture who wears a golden sash around them. Guess what his name is? His name's Jesus. That's in Revelation chapter 1. The risen Jesus shows up with the golden sash. You can go read that. It says in verse 6 here, his body was like beryl. That's like a precious stone. His face was like lightning. When the face like lightning comes in, it often accompanies a revelation of God. His eyes were like flaming fire torches. His arms and legs were of burnished bronze. And the sound of his voice was like the sound of a multitude. If you after this is done today, go and read Revelation chapter 1. You're going to see a very, very almost exact similar description of the risen Jesus in Revelation 1. And here it is again in Daniel chapter 10. In verse 7, it says that Daniel alone saw the vision and the men that were with him did not see. Remember, they gone, they ran away. That's very similar to what happened in Acts chapter 9 when Saul was walking down the road and he had some buddies with him, and they were going to go roll some heads among some Christians. And then Jesus himself shows up, it says, and Saul was blinded, and no one else around him saw the vision. Only him. Very similar right here. So that's my submission to you. You can disagree. That's fine. Don't slash my tires out in the parking lot later, whatever. At the very least, here's what we know about this. This is a divine being that shows up of some sort. This isn't just some regular person. This is a divine messenger from God, and he shows up for Daniel. You say, okay, why did this figure, Jesus or otherwise, show up for Daniel? If you go to the next slide, I'm going to tell you why. Look at what it says in verse 12. Oh, next slide, sorry. Da, 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 da. Here we go. Verse 12. We got it. I'll just read it to you. That's all right. It says in verse 12, that from the first time, this is the being speaking to Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. You've heard me say this before. You and I can't force God to do anything. Get that idea out of your head. You can't just rub the magic lamp and now God has to show up. But God has moved in his heart when he sees certain postures of our heart. Look at what that says, very, very clear. Because you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. That's what it says. Is that what you're reading? Because that's what I'm reading. And I have come because of your words. Seems pretty clear to me that God shows up for Daniel because of the posture of Daniel's heart. God is moved to respond by Daniel's heart. Like, you can do this in your life as well, and the heart of God can be moved. Now, here's what God does for Daniel when he shows up for him. First of all, he strengthens him. Somebody say strengthen. Strengthen. First of all, it says in verse 10 that a hand touched him. 
set Daniel on his hands and his knees. He'd basically fallen like a heap on the ground, like a pile of goo on his face. The hand touches him, sets him up on his feet. This being says, stand upright. I want to just say this to you. Listen to this. If Jesus touches you in your life, you can stand. Some of you think, I can't do it. I can't go forward. I'm so burdened. I'm so troubled. If Jesus Christ gets a hold of you, friend, you can stand. Not by your power, by his power. That's for somebody. I don't know for who, but it's for somebody. Look what he says in verse 11 to Daniel. Daniel, oh man, greatly loved. He says it again in verse 19 as well. You know what that is? God is speaking over Daniel, his identity. Daniel, you're loved by God. It's okay. You're loved by God. Again, I will say this to you. I don't know who needs this one. Right down to the core, right down to the heart, right the heart of the matter in your life, you're loved by God. You're loved by God. Every single one of us in this room, loved by God. It's unconditional. You can't lose his love because you didn't do anything to deserve it in the first place. God loves you. The world cannot take that away. Circumstances may change, but the love of God does not change. You are loved by God. That would be a good place to clap for him, actually, please. Thank you. Coffee's still kicking in. That's all right. Again, uh, verse 19 uh, it says, uh, 12 and 19, he says to Daniel, fear not. God does not want you to fear. We have not received a spirit of fear as Christians. Jesus says, fear not. He says, I have come so that you may understand what's gonna happen to your people. Verse 18, again, the hand touched me and strengthened me. Verse 19, he says, be strong and be of good courage. Peace be with you, it says in verse 19. By the way, someone else said peace be with you in the Bible. John 14, 27, guess who said it? Jesus, peace be with you. He has peace for you. He wants to give you his peace. And so he's strengthening Daniel. And then what he does is he invites relationship with Daniel. Somebody say relationship now. Relationship, so relationship, it's okay. Relationship. See, what happens here is God doesn't just speak to Daniel like a one-way conversation, right? It says in verse 16, he touched my lips. He, he wanted Daniel to speak. Daniel was rendered kind of dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to say. He touches his lips. Daniel in verse 17 says, I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can speak. How can my Lord's servant talk? No strength remains in me. No breath remains. I can't do it. God says, yes, you can. He's trying to communicate. Communication. Do you know communication is important in relationships? I hope you know that right? You need it. And it's two-way communication. That's how God wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you and he wants you to talk to him. Two-way communication. That's what he's inviting Daniel to right here. He wants that relationship with you. And you know what? That relationship with God can be forged and deepened anytime, but it can especially be deepened when you're going through a hard time. So don't look at your hard time as, well, now I'm on the sideline and now I just can't do anything in my faith till the storm passes over me. No, you can get closer to God. That's what you can do. Okay, now let me sum all of that up. These are some principles in Daniel 10. This is like not even the main point of Daniel 10, but some principles for healthy living. God wants you to be healthy in this world. He wants you to be healthy as a believer. And when we are, we are walking through this life in uncertain times, such as we're in, and when our world gets rocked, right, when the news on TV is bad, when the diagnosis at the doctor is not a positive one, when you are 
looking at the bank statement and there's, you know, the fly flies out of your wallet, right? All of these things. When your world gets rocked, God still wants to give you peace. And he wants us to, like Daniel did, he wants us to earnestly seek him, even if we have to break out of the routine to do it. And here's what I'm telling you. Here's what we see in God's word. When you earnestly seek the Lord in your time of need, God always shows up for you always. Somebody testify if God has ever shown up for you in your hour of need in here. Yes. That's the God. See, now we're talking. Now we're talking. That's the Jesus I know right there. He's going to give you what you need. Now, let's take a drink. (laughs) Now we get to the real meat of Daniel 10. That wasn't even, that was just the sidebar. That was just the, the, the appetizer. Now, We're zooming out from us. Zoom way out. Everybody zoom out for me. So you just appear this big right here. Zoom out. We're going to look at the big picture of Daniel chapter 10. This is what this three chapter section of Daniel is all about. And I would submit to you that what we need to talk about today in the big picture of things is spiritual warfare. Somebody say spiritual warfare. warfare. Someone just sunk down in their seat like this, right? Okay. I'll say this. I've been in the church for a long time. I've seen people go to either extreme about spiritual warfare. Some people, they do that. Like I just said, they're freaked out by it. I don't want to talk about it. I I don't want to think about it. Please don't preach a sermon about it because it freaks me out. Okay? We don't want to go to that extreme. We don't have to worry. Uh, Here's the spoiler. Jesus wins. Okay? So we don't have to worry. On the other extreme, I have seen believers obsess over things like spiritual warfare. And they look under every little rock and every little thing, that's spiritual warfare. Well, like maybe, but maybe not. Like this bad thing happened to me. It must be spiritual warfare. No, this bad thing happened to you because you were dumb and you jumped off the cliff and you broke your leg. The devil didn't make you do that. Like you did it, okay? It's not always spiritual warfare. So we got to meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, Turn in your Bible if you got it on you to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to sidebar in Ephesians. Ephesians 6.12, there's one critical verse in here. Ephesians 6.12 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against, excuse me, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a lot in that verse, and there's three things you need to know about it. They're on the screen right there. First thing you need to know, welcome to church. Look, if this is your first time in church, we're going to throw you right in the deep end because we love you, right? We'll give you a life jacket. First thing is this. There's an unseen realm. It's very real. It's very real. See, you and I exist in the seen, known, physical realm, right? You can employ your five senses and look and, and taste and touch and hear and smell, and you can perceive the world around you in that way. That's the way that I relate to the world around me. I don't know about you, but that's me. Now, equally as real as this physical realm, this physical world that we live in, equally real is the fact that there is a spiritual unseen realm. Right in here, it says in heavenly places. Read this again. Against the rulers, powers over the present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's talking about the spiritual unseen realm. Pretty stinking clear to me. Just saying. The second thing you need to know is that there is war happening in the unseen realm. It's not all peace and sunshine and roses in the unseen realm. There's wrestling that happens there. We do not wrestle. That's conflict. That's struggle, right? 
there is in this spiritual realm, right? God is there. God is good. Somebody say God is good. There's God and there's angels, good angels in the spiritual realm. But equally true to that is that there is such thing as Satan and demons. And it blows my mind. I get so annoyed. Some Christians, like not, never mind non-Christians. I could understand a non-Christian not believing in Satan, okay? That's fine. But some Christians go, no, no, no Satan. Here's, here's, I'm gonna tell you how they got to that conclusion. If you want to use the Bible to prove that there's no Satan, here's what you do. You cut half of it out and throw it away. That's how you prove in the Bible there's no Satan. Of course there's a Satan. He's real. Demons are real. And this war, this war that it's talking about, this war began in heaven long before you and I ever showed up. See, here's, here's what the Bible says. God made all things. How many things? All. all things. God created the heavens and the earth. God included in his creation were heavenly beings, angels. And these angels were created to stand in God's presence and minister to God and, and serve as messengers to people, right? All the angels were good at first, but one of them was bad. His name was Lucifer. He was a powerful, beautiful angel. And he looked at God and he said, that should be me. I want to sit on the throne. I want to be the center. I want to be worshiped. That ought to be me. I know better than God. I ought to be sitting there. So the Bible says that Satan rebelled against God and he lost, shockingly, right? And those angels, fallen angels that were loyal to Satan were cast out with him. We now call them demons, cast down to the earth. And the war has continued from then on. And Satan's whole angle, the whole thing about this war is that he wants to steal and kill and destroy all that God has made and established, right? Satan hates the Bible. He hates Christians. He hates when people get saved. He hates when people are growing in their faith. He wants to yank all of that away and get you off on some different track. Because he knows, he knows that when we have God at the center of our lives, we flourish, and he doesn't want that. Simple, right? It's pretty simple. It's a bit of a mind bender, but it's simple, and it's right there in the Bible. Now, it says, uh, the third thing you need to know, excuse me, is this. The war that's happening in the heavenly places affects the physical realm, right? I don't want you to see these as two completely separate entities. Things that happen in the spiritual realm can spill over into the physical realm. That's why it says right here, for we do not wrestle against. We, it doesn't say for God in the spiritual realm. No, we, which realm do you live in? You live in the physical, seen realm. And we are wrestling against these things. You know what that means? You're in a battle. Welcome. You're in a battle. And again, we don't think of this often. But just because you can't see it with your eyes, oh, there goes a demon, right? Doesn't mean it's not real. I remember hearing a story about a person in New Brunswick who, this was probably 15 years ago when everyone started getting Wi-Fi in their houses. Do you remember dial-up? Anyone remember dial-up in the house today? The noise? If you're a 90s kid or older like me, uh, every time you hear the dial-up noise, it just brings you right back to like 1997. Okay, somebody appreciates that. We were getting rid of dial-up and we were all moving to Wi-Fi. And there were reports of some people after getting Wi-Fi that reported just chronic massive headaches. And they say, I don't know what happened. I didn't change what I'm eating. I didn't change any medication. I don't know what happened, but I have these headaches all the time. And then they realized, oh, 
That started after we got the, the wireless internet in our house, right? You can't see, if you can see, you're weird. You can't see, right, Wi-Fi signals being transmitted through the air, but they can affect people. It's very rare. I'm not saying get rid of your Wi-Fi. It'll give you a headache. No, 99.9% people are fine. But for some people, and then as soon as they got rid of the Wi-Fi, the headaches went away. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. You are in a battle. And sometimes things that happen in that unseen realm spill over into the seen realm. We'll talk about, again, that in a minute. But again, the whole undercurrent of the book of Daniel is spiritual warfare. The whole, the whole red line underneath it is the things that are happening in the unseen realm that affect the seen realm. So we're gonna see that and we're gonna explore that a little bit deeper here this morning. And here's five things you need to know about spiritual warfare. Can you handle five things? I won't even make you bring out your other hand. Five things, five only. We just talked about this a little bit. Number one is this, spiritual warfare can bring about physical effects. So if you look back in Daniel, go back to Daniel chapter 10. If you look in Daniel chapter 10, verse one through three, first of all, it says this, Daniel gets this word and the word was true and it was a great, what? Conflict, war, struggle, wrestling, warfare. And Daniel understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And then it goes on to say that this vision of this warfare and conflict flattened Daniel. It freaked him out. We talked about that. Again, Daniel didn't do anything physical here other than receive a vision and get a peek in behind the curtain at the other realm, and he's affected. He can't just carry on about his business and go about his day. I would submit this to you. This, oh, this will be another sermon for another day, and this will be wildly unpopular when that day comes and we preach this sermon, I would submit to you that some of our issues in the world, in our lives, in this physical, seen, known realm, some of the things that we struggle with are actually more spiritual in nature than we think they are. Right? Again, I'm not trying to uh, be a fear monger or, or whatever, and this is something we'll have to talk about on another day, but you, you cannot convince me. You cannot convince me there is no spiritual component ever to things like depression and anxiety and addiction or like a spirit of poverty. I'm not saying it's all, right? I'm not going to this extreme. It's all spiritual warfare. Maybe not. But you cannot convince me that Satan isn't pulling the strings and the demons aren't working behind the scenes on some of that stuff. We'll talk about that another day and I'll be sure to wear a bulletproof vest that day when we do. Anyway, they can be spiritual in nature because we've seen it. What happens in the spiritual realm can spill over into the physical realm. We've talked about that enough. Let's move on. Second thing you need to understand about spiritual warfare, Satan and demons have real power, right? We get this rose-colored thing in our minds of, oh, well, I don't, you know, they, they don't even have anything because I know Jesus and Je Jesus is better and Jesus wins. Yes, 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 yes. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take our enemy seriously, Right? Just because we know the power of God and we know that he's going to win doesn't mean that the enemy still can't do some damage to us. They have real power. So look at verse 13. First of all, it says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. That's not talking about a literal human being with a crown on his head. This is a spiritual matter. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. The prince word refers to power and authority. He withstood me 21 days. 
This is possibly Jesus talking, and even if you don't agree with that, it's at least a powerful divine being talking. And Satan and the demons withstood him for 21 days, three weeks. They have real power. Third thing is this. Oh, by the way, they lost because this message still came through to Daniel. They didn't win. But still, there's a withstanding there. The third thing about uh, spiritual warfare is this. Some demons are territorial. Say that, territorial. Like they occupy certain territory. Again, look at this. Daniel 10, 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. It specifically references this kingdom of Persia. And then at the bottom, I was left there with the kings of Persia. This is spiritual stuff, not talking about physical people right here. There are such things as evil spirits that have dominion or have, have they do work in certain territories or over nations or over people groups, for instance. We've talked about the spirit of Babylon in this series. We won't go back into that. We've talked about that a lot. Here, the, the prince of Persia is mentioned, and these spirits are always working, right? Like I say, they empower nations. They do harm to God's people. That's what these spirits do. They do harm to God's people. I want you to think in your minds, for instance, of, for instance, the Nazis in Nazi Germany, Second World War, around that time. You can't tell me there was nothing spiritual about that. When a whole big chunk of their angle was, yes, we want to take territory, we want to win the war, but really it's, we want to destroy the Jews, God's people. I know that's heavy, but you can't tell me there's not a spiritual component to that, literally going after God's people. Here, the prince of Persia is fighting against the things of God and the people of God. Remember I said already, this is all taking place during an uncertain time. The nation of Israel is in a pretty vulnerable state at this point. And this spirit is going after it, trying to get at the people of God to destroy them and to damage them and do harm to them. I would say something else that's interesting about this. The kingdom of Persia doesn't exist anymore. This was 2,500 years ago. However, Geographically, what's current day Iran is where the kingdom of Persia used to be centered in. Answer me this. Does Iran like Israel today? No. No. I don't know. It's right there. Because some demons are territorial. There's spiritual activity happening. Satan, he goes into the same bag of tricks all the time. Same thing, different day. But this is how they work. Number four, here's a good one for you about spiritual warfare. Prayer and fasting unlocks activity in the spiritual realm. So we talked earlier already about how Daniel prayed and he fasted and he sought the Lord and God showed up. Let's sweeten the pot right here. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Anybody remember how long Daniel was praying and fasting for? How long is three weeks? Someone said it real quiet. It's praying this 21 days. Don't tell anybody. Daniel is praying and fasting. And then there's this three-week, 21-day conflict. And finally, the message of God breaks through. God shows up here through the struggle and through the conflict. And remember... It already said in verse 14, I have come, or verse 12 rather, I have come because of your words. Daniel starts praying and fasting. 
and God sends out a word and the enemy picks up on it and freaks out because he doesn't want this word to go out. So he starts fighting 21 days. That's in there. That, that's that same number for a specific reason. If you, listen, if you need breakthrough in your life, start with this. Because it's not often just physical things that you need. Well, I need more money. Yeah, you might need more money. I need a new relationship. Maybe you do. I need my car to get fixed. I need my health to get better. Yes, 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 yes. But I want to submit this to you. What we need more than anything, anything, is the presence and the power of God in our lives. First and foremost, right? The, 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 the physical and, and possession, material things, those come far second. We need revelation of God. We need the presence and the power of God in our lives. And what this is saying here is... That when you set your mind and set your heart to seek after the Lord, it unlocks something in the spiritual realm. And don't be surprised if the enemy freaks out when you do that, by the way. Don't be surprised if you even keep feeling the heat for a while, because Daniel did. But Jesus is greater. Greater is he living in us, the Holy Spirit, than he was in the world, evil spirits. So we're good, we're good. God's gonna give you what you need. Fifth thing is this, some angels, we talk about demons, some angels are assigned to God's people. This is my last point here. It takes care to say in verse 21 that there is none who contends by my side against these evil spirits except Michael, your prince. Michael is one of only a couple of named angels in the whole Bible. The other is Gabriel, the other popular one. Michael, it says, is your prince talking to Daniel. It says in, uh, we'll get there in a couple weeks, in uh, Daniel chapter 12, Michael is the prince who has charge over your people. So yes, while the Satan and the demons are at work in the spiritual unseen realm, guess what? So are God and the angels. It's not just all the bad stuff, it's good stuff too. There are other places in the scriptures, for instance, in the early parts of Revelation, where it talks about how there are angels to the angel at the church of whatever, write such and such. There are people that, that believe and have interpreted the scriptures that there, yes, there is such a thing as spiritual, angelic, divine protection over God's people and over churches sometimes. And that's encouraging to me. That makes me think like, hey, we can't see what's going on behind the curtain, but there could be like an angel or a few angels like for the harbor. That's pretty cool, watching over us. Obviously, God watches over us. They work for him. But it just reminds me, like, we're loved. God cares about us. In this little corner of the world, in 2023, God cares about us. He cares about you and I, and he cares about our church. That's pretty cool, right? All right. It says in verse 11, 1, the first year of Darius, I stood up to, to confirm and strengthen him. I, I just mentioned that verse up there because uh, it's labeled as part of chapter 11. A lot of people think that when in the Middle Ages, uh, the people went in to add chapter numbers and verse numbers to the scriptures, they think they might have just kind of misplaced that one. Not that the Bible is wrong or that's in the wrong place. A lot of people just think that should belong to chapter 10 and not chapter 11 because the hymn it's talking about is Michael. This divine being encourages and strengthens Michael in the fight, in the fight that's going on in the spiritual realm behind the scenes. Now, okay, we've had fun. Let's wrap this up. We've had fun. I've had fun. Verse 20 talks about this. It says, and now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. Right, the fight is ongoing. Right, spiritual warfare doesn't take a break. 
doesn't go on holiday. And when I go, it says the prince of Greece will come. That's another demon, another spirit. And we're going to see that next week in chapter 11. It's all about how the Greek empire rises up. Chapter 11 is going to be a lot of fun, by the way. I'm going to need my whiteboard that day and about 25 pages because there's a lot of stuff in chapter 11. This enemy is going to rise up and oppress God's people. But all of this today points to the reality of spiritual warfare and the spiritual conflict that happens and it spills over into our physical realm. It involves God and Satan. It involves angels and demons. It involves nations and kings of the world. But ultimately what we're gonna see the next couple weeks in Daniel, and it's gonna be great to cover this, what we see is the victory that Jesus wins through all this warfare. Yes, there's a war going on. Guess who wins? Jesus wins. Guess who else wins because Jesus wins? We do. It's gonna end well for us. But today I wanna just encourage you in this. We can still live healthy in uncertain hellish times amidst strong spiritual warfare, in the midst of all that the enemy is trying to do and ruin in this world and in our lives. We can stand firm. Do we see that in God's word today? Okay, let's pray then. We got it. We're good.